0: Hey everybody, I'm Jack Midkiff, and I want to welcome you to my podcast. I'm pretty excited about today because I'm going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which happens to be one of my favorite cities, and uh, I'm just excited about getting into it. Before I do, I just want to say thanks for always being a part of this podcast whenever you are, and if it's something that you enjoy and you think other people would, share it with them. Let them know about it, and uh, hopefully you get some information that helps you, some uh, inspiration. And today, I just hope that you have fun because that's that's what uh, that's what today's podcast is all about. I want to give a little uh, disclaimer here: in any of the information that I'm given, I do not claim to be a historian. I do not claim to be uh, 100% accurate with all these facts because I'm using facts that are given to me by other people. And I don't know these jokers, so <laughs> if you hear me say something, you go, that's not right. Okay, maybe it isn't, but um, I'm taking it as as close to facts as I can find. Let's, let's say it that way, all right? But today, I want to talk about Nashville, Tennessee. Um, It has been one of my favorite places for as long as I can remember. When I was a little kid, we would watch Hee Haw, and we would watch the Porter Wagner Show. One of my favorite stories, my favorite things about the Porter Wagner Show is, I mean, we watched it every week, and Porter Wagner, if you are not familiar with that name, he was a guy from West Plains, Missouri that came to Nashville, and uh, he's got quite the story of how he got there, which a lot of the early, early country music guys, they have quite the story because they had to, to work and, and just do lots of things that today, not taking away from the hard work that is done. But a lot of the foundation was laid in the music business and in Nashville by these early guys that, you know, is already there. So it doesn't have to be done uh, now. There again, not taken away from the hard work that, that people put in because my son has been, he's been in Nashville working in the music business for the last 12 years, and uh, and it's not an easy business. But... Uh, Going back to me, (laughs) Porter Wagner was, like, bigger than life. He wore these suits that had more rhinestones on them than you could, you know, count, and it was just amazing. Well, my mama ordered me a Porter Wagner suit from Sears and Roebuck. Does anybody remember Sears and Roebuck? Well, uh, before it was just Sears, it was Sears and Roebuck and we didn't have a Sears store close to us, but we had a place where you place the orders and then you go pick up the orders. Cause I was uh, raised in that generation where you get this big book in the mail and you set and you look at all these pages and you, you just dream and dream and dream and you place your order and then you get it in a few weeks. Um, uh, so I got this suit back, and all it was basically is a little, uh, probably since it was in the 1970s, it probably amounted to not much more than a leisure suit. (laughs) A leisure suit for a little kid with a little bit of embroidery in it. But man, that was so exciting to me. That's one of my first memories of being excited about the music business. And I didn't even realize the depth of my love, the depth that my love would be or I would have, however I need to say that, in my life for country music and Nashville, Tennessee. But um, I want to give just a little history about the the city itself. And I found this. Uh, I just Googled it. So if you want to find any of these facts, uh, just just Google it. I even look at my look at my uh, mug. I love to collect mugs and my mug says Opryland USA. But um, in Nashville or when Nashville started, and I'm not going to I'm not going to be real heavy in these kind of facts. So don't get too bored. But it says the first settlers. I found this interesting, however, because Fort Nashborough is still there. The little the little log cabin is actually still there. The first settlers in what is known now as Nashville were Indians of the Mississippi uh, Mississippian culture, who lived in the area about 1,000 to 1,400 A.D. They raised corn, made great earthen mow, uh, mounds, painted beautiful pottery, then. Um, mysteriously disappeared it said it said that other indians uh, the cherokee the chickasaw and the shawnee followed and used the area as a hunting ground the first white men to come to the area were french fur traders who established a trading post around 1717 the first settlement however was not established until 1779 It was then on the banks of the Cumberland River near the center of the present day downtown Nashville, then a band of pioneers led by the Englishman James Robertson. And if you are in or around or ever been to Nashville, that's a familiar name because there's a James Robertson Parkway. The Englishman James Robertson cleared the land and built a log stockade. This was Fort Nashboro, named in honor of General Francis Nash, who won a claim in the new community that was then part of North Carolina. In 1784, the community's name was changed from Nashboro to Nashville. And uh, as I said, that little, that little Fort, uh, Nashboro, is still right on the Cumberland River banks down there, and it's right beside of First Avenue. So um, my house in Nashville is off of um, Lebanon Pike, which turns into First Avenue, and First Avenue runs all the way down, of course, down through downtown and. It runs right by the river, and if you're on First Avenue where Broadway comes in, you look across the river, that is where the um, the stadium is, where the Tennessee Titans came in. And uh, now, you know, 20-some years later, they're talking about changing that whole area. The only thing that is constant, you know, is change, and um, and Nashville is a... Ever-changing city. So, um, that's all of that kind of history I want to talk about. Now, I want to talk about the music industry. That's, that's what, of course, made me so interested in Nashville. I love to go to Nashville. I'm in Nashville every week, usually two or three days a week, two and a half days a week anyway. And um, I, I have often referred to it as one of my happy places. You know, I do believe, now this, I said this is going to be fun and and not spiritual, but I'm a spirit living in a body. So everything, <laughs> everything has spiritual implications. Places are important. God made places before he made people. So where you end up in life, where you spend your time, <clears throat> where you go to church, where you live, where your house is, it's all very important because places are important so if you talk about the music industry the music industry as we really know it now there's there's history that goes back before the 1920s as a matter of fact um i think i read on here a while ago the fisk jubilee singers were in nashville um in like the 1800s maybe Uh, Okay, here we go. The story begins in the 1870s with the Fisk Jubilee Singers, a vocal group from Nashville, Nashville's Fisk University, composed entirely of freed black slaves. The Fisk Jubilee Singers adopted the operatic singing style of the day to sing uh, Negro spirituals. They were wildly popular and not only toured the United States, but also Europe with their uniquely American sound. And this is pretty amazing right here. It was after a concert attended by none other than Queen Victoria of Great Britain that Her Highness reportedly addressed the singers and said, you must come from the Music City. That's pretty That's pretty phenomenal to me. So, um, the name Music City, obviously, goes farther back than just the 1920s. However, I am not that familiar with um, other music genres. And there again, I'm going to say this. It's not that I believe that I know all and it's the end all. It's just... I love the history of country music. So now, the Grand Ole Opry was established in 1925. A guy by the name of George Hay, he is known as the solemn old judge George D. Hay. He started this uh, this little barn dance thing they called to, uh, and he named it the Grand Ole Opry. But he did it as a platform for an insurance company called uh, the National Life and Accident Insurance Company. He started it so that the uh, there'd be entertainment because we're talking 1920s here. I know that uh, there's possibly people that are listening to this that we are so familiar with our devices. We're so comfortable and used to our internet service and computers and all that we're talking about a day that uh most homes were very very thankful to have a battery-powered radio period as their entertainment this was before television this was before any of the modern technology and they would gather around a radio once a week for their entertainment and we are entertained 24 hours a day seven days a week now not complaining about that but i'm just saying you have to to understand this and really get the appreciation for it you have to remember what they went through just to be on the radio but it says that um in 1925 the national life and accident insurance company had the idea of launching a radio station to promote its business and they called it WSM now the reason they called it WSM which WSM radio and television I think the television station is WSMV in Nashville but they still use those call letters today, and what that actually stands for is we shield millions. So this was birth completely as an advertisement campaign. It was nothing more, nothing less than to be able to get people to to buy their insurance, and so they started <clears throat> they started calling it WSM, and um, let's see. It says Saturday nights were... So this radio station was formed to sell insurance. And then it says Saturday nights were reserved for the WSM barn dance. And uh, it says that it was an evening of live and lively country music. And now it's not in this, but I know I heard just uh, not too long ago something I was listening to. They were talking about how um, George Hay... Would name the the people who come on, and it was there was one entertainer. His name was Uncle Dave Macon. I think he was from the like Murfreesboro area. Now what we call Murfreesboro, and uh, he was a banjo player. And they said that he. Uh, I know who I was listening to. I was listening to Roy Acuff and Grant Turner on an old interview not too long ago. And they were saying that that uh, Dave Macon was this very funny lively character and they also said that the longer the show went the funnier and the happier and the more lively he got because in his banjo case he also would always carry in a little bottle (laughs) and so they were talking about he was one of the very first entertainers and but George D. Hay would name these people the fruit jar drinkers and the i I don't even remember now but just very primitive very very primitive but just the desire to have fun um but in 1925 they started that and then in um and they started having it i believe let's see if it says this said wsm built a auditorium because they were having it in the, uh, in the insurance building, I think, to start with. And people started coming, and, and the crowd started growing. And it says in 1927, um, they had built a building, and the weekly program was officially named the Grand Ole Opry. gonna, I'm going I'm to I'm share a little pet peeve I have. I hear people, even in the business... Calling the, calling the Grand old Opry the Grand Old Opry. It doesn't have a D. It's not old. It's not Grand old opry. It's Grand old OLE opry. Now, what that matters? Nothing other than respect to the, <laughs> the establishment. So, in 1932, WSM got a brand-new antenna, the tallest in North America at the time, and, uh, and broadcast 50,000-watt clear-channel signal that every home in America, coast-to-coast. Coast, now, you think about that. From coast-to-coast, coast, every home in America could pick up this signal in 1932. Wow. Wow today there's so much going on it, it that also speaks to the population that speaks to you know a lot of different things that are now implemented into our society that wasn't then it was so much more rural then and here's another thing you start talking about the 1700s and it we even initially talked about 1000 uh AD up to 1400 and you think man that's a long time ago which it was it was hundreds of years ago but you think about in the scheme of things in the scheme of life we're not talking especially in the early 20s um I mean there's probably no doubt that's less than 100 years ago even at 1925 we're recording this in in uh, 2022 so less than 100 years ago there's people still alive today that was around so technology here's my point technology and the way we get this stuff is so different and so much better today it really is although i celebrate the old i celebrate um i celebrate the the past I'm thankful today that I can turn my phone on and listen, that I don't have to wait till Saturday night and make sure my batteries are charged on my radio, you know? So I'm very thankful, but it's just very just kind of amazing to me how just really that short a time ago, things were so primitive, but, um, It goes on to talk about the Grand Ole Opry uh, was once the most popular radio show of its day. So they were at the War Memorial Auditorium, which is still in Nashville today, until 1943. In 1943, they went into um, the Ryman Auditorium. The Ryman Auditorium. Now, I do not have this history pulled up, so I'm just going to pull it out of my my personal file here and uh, in my in my, b- my brain, and just share with you what I know about it. So I may not have all the dates, but the Ryman Auditorium was built by a a, um, a a businessman that traveled up and down the river, and I think that's one of the main reasons, no doubt that Nashville was established where it was because the Cumberland River was one of the, the main uh, channels that people traveled on of that day. And so um, he was a riverboat captain, and his name was uh, Ryman, and his name absolutely escapes me. His first name escapes me, and I apologize about that. But Mr. Ryman built this church. And they started having church in this building. Well, in 1943, they started having the Grand Ole Opry in the Ryman Auditorium, which was a former church. It was a former tabernacle. And I heard uh, in the interview that I was just referring to a few minutes ago, I heard Roy Acuff say, because he was there when they started having. He was already in Nashville and he's from uh, the East Tennessee area. He said they moved into the Ryman Auditorium in 1943, he said, and we stayed too long. Now, I don't really know everything that he meant by that, but I do know that it started, the 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 Grand Ole Opry that started in 1925 went to a couple different locations until 1943, and then they went into the Ryman Auditorium. From 1943 until 1974, they were in the Ryman Auditorium, and I've heard so many stories about how it got so hot and the crowds had grown so exponentially that they literally couldn't hardly get in the door and it was just really miserable by the time the early 70s because if if you think about the early 70s we were getting into an era where people were having air conditioning in their home and today that seems so odd to say they had air conditioning because everybody does well back in that day they did not in the 40s Probably very few homes actually had air conditioning. And so uh, by the 70s, we were starting to, as a society, enjoy all these amenities where you'd go to the Ryman Auditorium and it was miserable. So in 1974, that's when um, Opryland was uh, built. And um, I think Opryland opened in 73. Over. A few miles away from um, downtown on a farm and it's so amazing if you drive around that area right now there are still as busy and as big and as built up as that area is if you look um, over behind some businesses like the Nashville Palace and Uh, in that area off of music valley drive there are still acres and acres of just farmland and that's what it looks like just farmland over in there in 2022 now past this year i don't know how you know i don't know how long it's going to stay that way but they found this big farm and they built opryland they started opryland hotel and they built the grand O opry house so in 1974 they moved into the grand O opry house and they're still there today now the music part um was one guy one family that uh is really um uh, given the credit or blamed for <laughs> the music industry being what it is is uh, the owens um I'm um, sorry, the, the Bradleys. It was Harold and Owen Bradley, two brothers. And I actually, I never met Owen. I actually got to meet Harold a few years ago. And um, they came up with what was known for years as the Nashville Sound. And uh, it's just amazing to me the progress that has come and that has the changes that has happened in the music industry. I personally, I love old country music. I also love new country music. In my life, and and I've probably come to know this more in the last six and a half years than ever before. It's really hit me, hit home more. I guess um, nothing stays the same. So you either. You flow with change, and you become better too, or you get stuck. And this is not just music. It's in life. You either you either flow with the progression of life, or you get stuck, and you miss out. And so, as much as I love traditional country music, quite frankly, I get embarrassed a little sometimes when uh, people start talking about new acts and new people because in my most of my life i've always been so up on the newest the, but um i'm not so much as versed in the new stuff as i am the older stuff today but i still celebrate all the new artists i celebrate the the new sound you know what you don't have to be it doesn't have to be your favorite for you to celebrate other people And that's there again, not just in music, but um, I just want to tell you that Nashville is a place that has just in the last uh, probably 10, 12 years at least, because as I said, that's how long my son has officially lived in Nashville. I told him one day I was on the phone with him and I said, you know what? If I didn't know where I was right now, I would not know where I am right now. (laughs) Meaning There has been so much change in the city just in the last few recent years because now, and I don't, there again, I don't know how legitimate this is. I've just been told this, but I was told a few years ago that Nashville was officially named an it city. Well, what that means, the way I understand it, is it used to be that people would go to Nashville for a specific reason, maybe whether it was Opryland or The Grand Ole Opry. Now, people go to Nashville just to be in Nashville because the city is so diverse. The city has so many things going. Now, I will tell you, being a huge country music uh, fan of all the stars that I grew up on, uh, it irritates me a little bit that they have ripped apart Music Row because this city that was built Uh, the fame of this city that was primarily built on music and around music. The history of it is that back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, even 80s, I can remember in the 80s I would drive down through there and you didn't see high-rise buildings like you do today. You saw little houses on 16th, 17th uh, Division Street, uh, Demumbrian, all those streets, you would see little houses. And out in the yard of those little houses, you would see Warner Brother Records or uh, Liberty Records or CBS Records, or uh, Universal Publishing, or yeah, I don't think it was Universal at that time, but that's a, a large publishing company today. But uh, you'd see all these little signs because the business was started by people with a passion, more passion than money. More passion than notoriety. And because it was good, it just has grown and grown. And it's been said that Nashville is actually now the songwriter capital of the world. It's not just about country music. It's not just about one style or one genre. It's a plethora. I love that idea. I love when people come together from different backgrounds and and make good things but me old jack (laughs) the old country music fan here inside of me goes why couldn't you use all that other land and leave music row area alone um there at one time there was literally dozens of little recording studios up and down uh 16th Avenue um, 17th Division there's still some I think on Division there's still one called the Omni and if you go back in history and you read all those of all the hits that have been recorded there but you've got uh, I got the pleasure of playing piano in a studio that was built by uh, Porter Wagner and Dolly Parton it was where their publishing company that was named opar that was back in the 70s it's totally gone now i also even jackie lee in the mid 2000s like 2006 7 8 something like that we went in and done a little uh, recording there in a place called the sound shop it was right down from music row not there anymore uh Brooks and Dunn, and that's just one, but just tons and tons of country music artists from the 80s and 90s had recorded in that studio. That studio is completely gone now, and there's a high rise. So the history of Nashville has been changed, or the history hasn't, but the landscape of Nashville has been changed so much, but it's still one of the most exciting places on the earth to me. I love to go there. You can still walk in these little hole-in-the-wall bars and hear some of the best music. Um, It was said one time that the reason Nashville is so special is, you know, you've got all these little towns, and usually, especially as it was a few years ago, in these little bitty towns, you've got one or two people that really stand out. They're great musicians. They're great singers, and and they'll win the, the county talent show or whatever just think about all the little towns in America and now now are from around the world but the best of the best all moved to Nashville so Nashville is a place where some of the most talented people in the world still live uh, and make music and now industry not just music but anyway I hope that some of this history today I feel like I maybe rambled just a little bit, but I hope that uh, you've enjoyed it. And uh, if you're looking for a place to go spend a few days, go to Nashville. And I love it so much, I bought a house there. <laughs> and uh, I've lived in Nashville a couple different times through the years when I was younger. And, and so it's just a special place to me. We're actually, I'll go ahead and make this announcement in... Uh, the church that i pastor high praises church we're actually talking to different uh, real estate people right now we are going to be opening a campus in nashville really soon and so nashville is a special place because i understand it's a special place to me because i understand people go there with dreams they go there with aspirations And it's not always the easiest business to to break into. It's not always, you know, the the more competitive it gets, uh, the more heartbreak can happen. And I think one of the reasons that I have such a desire to be there is in a city where so many dreams can come true is also a place where Satan can really um, shatter someone's self-esteem, just make them so depressed and i want them to know that and and i want to be i just feel the lord has placed this it's even it's it was even prophesied to me back in you know the early 2000s before i even really thought about having a church in nashville um although the the dream and desires now been there for at least 15 years but um I just have a desire and, and like I said, someone spoke to me one time and told me that they felt like the Lord had told them and showed them that uh, because of I guess my desire or whatever that uh, I would be there ministering to people. And um, I just I just believe that no matter where you are in life, because a lot of people that have had a lot of big success and then they haven't conditioned their mind, To be stable when that glitz and glamour fades away, it can really be damaging to them. So I want to help people get a strong foundation in Christ. So whatever you do, whether it's sing country music, you're a CEO of a company, you wash cars, whatever, at the end of the day, your foundation is in Christ alone. And so uh, Nashville's a great place A wonderful place They've got a lot of hot chicken I don't eat chicken anymore But they got a lot of hot chicken So go get you some hot chicken Hey, I'm Jack Midkiff Thank you for being a part of this podcast And I'll see you next time